We did it, y'all. Season one is a wrap, and we have 20 episodes under our belt. Thank you to all of our special guests for blessing us with thought-provoking conversations over these past few months, and shout out to all of you who have joined us for this journey. Stay tuned and make sure that you are subscribed to Stranger Fruit, signed up for our newsletter, and following us on social media because starting next week, we will be releasing bonus audio episodes. Get ready for summer school, y'all. And in the meantime, check out some of our favorite moments from season one. Activism has become a cash cow for a lot of people. Division is at an all-time high. We could see before that that's how CNN and Fox News made their money, by completely being on polar opposites of any situation, even if they didn't believe what the fuck they were saying. And now you as an influencer can do the same thing. Now you can get a check for being a Candace Owens. Now you can get a check for being extremely liberal on the <laughs> other side. And you can become a millionaire from being divisive. So a lot of what we're dealing with is foolishness. It's artificially made um, so that people can have a means to a financial end. People are in an escapist mindset mm -hmm. and have been for a while. So they want to hear music about celebration and getting money and leveling up and all of these things because it distracts you from your reality. I think that's actually where hip hop shifted, even in terms of violence, where it started off telling the story of what was happening in the street. The people that were rapping were not the people in the street. That was the difference. Mm -hmm. They were saying, this is ruining our neighborhood, let's rap about it. And then rappers became the drug dealers. So now it's not, hey, there's violence happening and we hate that for our community, let's rap about it. It's, hey, I'm the drug dealer and I had to shoot somebody today because he got in the way of my drug deal. So. Mm -hmm. As the conversation shifted, as the 80s came and went and we became the pusher and not the consumer, the music changed. Because when you sell drugs, you have to carry a weapon and that's it. You have to do that. So now if the drug dealer is the rapper, you're gonna have violent music. If you notice the shift, music is still violent but it's become more depressed because now the rapper is the drug user. user. I think we talk about hip hop a lot when, and it's such an easy scapegoat. It is. <laughs> such an easy scapegoat because then we don't have to talk about the fact that we live in a patriarchal, misogynist, misogynoirist society and hip hop just makes it sound delicious. There's nothing happening in hip hop right now that doesn't happen at work, yes. that doesn't happen in church, that doesn't happen in yes. our civil rights spaces. Yes. It is the same oh thing. Oh my God, that's so except, true. Yeah, yeah. Except in those environments, it's not okay to look at me and say, bitch. <laughs> but that's what you think. But you treat me like a bitch. That's my mom may have not been okay with my queerness, but she may have tolerated if I brought a white partner mm. as opposed oh, to shit. I'm bringing a black woman. Because the common denomination You're saying there, too much. You're <laughs> all the secrets. I, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm okay with that. I feel like there's still constant uh, unpacking mm -hmm. all the time. And I think about, okay, mm -hmm. cool. For me now, anti-racist work is no longer enough mm -hmm. if we're not talking about like pro-black liberation. Mm -hmm. Like I can understand anti-blackness via colorism, mm -hmm. right? Because the darker I got, the more proximity I had to blackness. So the common denominator was that blackness was not okay. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like now that I'm, I'm older, I'm like, no, anti-racism work is not enough, but black liberation is the work that needs to happen. Exactly. Because it's the atoning for, for that harm atones for so many other harms too. When my dad left us, like the whole family was like, yeah, cause he's black. 
Wow. Like there was already like a this negative connotation. Per- connotation and perception of like, yeah, you don't date black men, and this is what happens when you have babies with a black man. So it was like we felt like a disgrace, you know. And so you know, even my mom felt like she made a big mistake for you know falling in love with the black man. And so there was this constant self hatred growing up. So I so I hated being in this in this body and in this skin, you know, and. Um, I found myself trying to fix myself in many ways, like, you know, accepting like that or, or trying to be white without knowing it or being closer to, to whiteness without knowing it and noticing that I'm missing out on myself. You know, I'm missing out on the magic that I bring and the medicine that I bring. Um, and so those that, that started very little by little. But recently I had that moment like, fuck. I need to be with this for a moment because then there is no forward without grieving that. Yeah. You can definitely tell my son is, you know, biracial. Um, And they always say, well, he's like Visa. He's accepted everywhere. But I have to tell him, I raise him (laughs) in a way to let him know you're going to come in contact with people that look like your mother. And they're not going to like you. They're going to be on guard because they're not going to trust you because they're going to wonder whether you think you're better than them because you do have like privilege. So I teach him. I have those conversations with him, but he also already recognizes just from the melanin in his skin that he's kind of some the, the white boys in his school kind of treat him a little differently. Also, what he sees in society is that just a little bit of melanin can get you in trouble with the police or just a little melanin. Someone's following you around the store. If you're thinking about getting into an interracial relationship or if you have interracial racial child stop hiding from the conversation make it happen talk to them have empathy ask what they're experiencing at school how they feel when they see images of black men dying at the hands of police when their dad is white and their mom is white stop doing this colorblindness you are hurting your children if we really want to move forward as a black community we also need to meet hood niggas where they're at and what i mean by hood niggas is people who have not gone to academia we're missing that group. We're missing the, the dope dealer. What do they think about going to therapy? What do they think about sexual assault? Kendrick touched on that, on that album. Niggas in the industry have faced sexual assault. That's the first time I ever heard an artist, a black artist, say that. So, a black male artist on his on a mainstream level. On a, on a yes. mainstream level. Yeah, I think that's That's important. the first time I that's ever true. heard that. And people are missing. And I'm like, do you just see what this man just did? He literally, like he said, I'm sacrificing myself for this healing. I acutely understand what it feels like to be in black spaces and not be fully black. I get that. I feel that I am trying to highlight the factual, statistical, like statistic uh, supported differences in our existences. And we have to be honest and open about that if we wish to dismantle colorism, which comes from white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And I, yes, I will say that as a black person, as black people, we have had our humanity dismissed, but it's not in this, I will say that again, it is not in the same way that darker skinned people have had that happen to them. Historically, statistically, mm-hmm. in prisons, you can I, you can name it. It's, yeah, it's not the same. And I hope that in having these conversations and hearing that out loud, because that's a real thing, light-skinned people don't take that as, as an attempt to push us out. It's actually just getting us to, un- to be honest with and reckon with how we are treated differently versus our dark-skinned brothers and sisters. This whole idea of POC and this unity train, nobody's willing to go to the final destination. And so people are falling for symbolism, which is why it feels like it was performative. 
So like when the symbolism happens, oh, you know, Nancy Pelosi kneeled. Okay, I can get off the train. We fixed racism. Like the POC, we're all unified. And so the next stop is, okay, they passed this legislation. Okay, I'm getting off the train. And so what you're feeling like that accountability is people are not willing to stay on to the final destination. Like, what are you willing to actually do? Because words are nice, but where are the actions? And who's going to be willing to stay on that train to the final stop? A lot of people are really big talking about it, but they're not really willing to do anything. Which but look what you're the asking them to do. We're asking people to literally dismantle the very identities that they were born into, right? So now you have to look at your mom. You have to look at grandma. You have to look at the intergenerational passing of the anti-blackness that has gone from one generation to the next to the next. You have to look at yourself and all of a sudden now you have a new identity, oppressed oppressor. Mm -hmm. How many people are ready and willing to contend with that particular identity, right? Because that that still requires work because in acknowledging that you are an oppressed oppressor, you're acknowledging that you have something to heal from, but that you also have work to do so that you don't harm others.